45 Years of the Rockford Files, revised 3rd edition. The complete history of the Rockford Files on television, now completely updated with more than 20 new interviews, additional photographs, and a whole lot more. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, available now at rockford45.com, rockford45.com. Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today. Even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare, call and see if we can help you. At the Timeshare Exit Hotline, we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare. Make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone, anywhere legally get out of their timeshare nightmare. 800-715-6093-800-715-6093-800-715-6093. That's 800-715-6093. This portion of TV Confidential is sponsored by Uber. Enter the promo code TV Confidential, all one word, when you download the app at get.uber.com slash go slash TV Confidential, and you'll receive a free first ride up to $20. Hi, this is Penny Pizer, and you're listening to TV Confidential. <laughs> Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. At Roberts, with a reminder that Tom Dreesen will join us at the top of the hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, earlier this week, Days of Our Lives marked its 55th anniversary on television, having premiered on NBC on November 8th, 1965. You might recall that uh, 10 years ago this week, Tony Figueroa and I had an opportunity to talk to Ken Corday, the executive producer of Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives, one of the few family-owned and family-run network TV shows. Ken's book, The Days of Our Lives, not only traces the history of Days of Our Lives on NBC television, but pays tribute to his parents, Ted and Betty Corday, the creators and original executive producers of the series. We'll round out our first hour by playing some highlights of that interview. As we pick up the conversation, Tony asks Ken Corday to talk about the legacy of his parents. If you can allow us to turn the hourglass back a little bit, we want to talk a little bit about uh, Ken and Betty, your parents. Who, uh, your book does such a remarkable way of uh, giving a, a history, which is... Uh, Especially for your dad, it is uh, the great American success story coming uh, from, well, the the history of the Corday family goes all the way back to the old country and then through Canada and all that. A pretty amazing story. And then your dad served in the uh, Signal Corps during World War II. And your mom was uh, in big time radio in New York City. And uh, I guess that was the early stages of eventually getting into daytime television. Well, my dad was a pioneer and in in every sense of the word. He was born in Winnipeg, Canada, 1908, at a time when it was a one, literally one street town. His father, grandfather, ran a dry goods hardware store, which is really nothing more than a trading post. And from there, he pioneered uh, into, first into law in Canada, and was disgruntled with that because he realized there was a certain amount of, how do I say it, uh, not quite fair goings-on as opposed to corruption in 
the court, you know. So he came to New York in the 30s in the midst of the Depression because he'd always had a passion for theater. He and his brothers and sisters were put on puppet shows, they called them. They made their own marionettes and sets and, and all, and traveled to Canada in the summer, even when he was in, in college, you know, entertaining at fairs. So he moved to New York, and there really started his career in theater, became a quite well-known theater director in the 30s, and then radio director in the 40s, and as you mentioned before, when he went off to war, basically three days after he married my mother, uh, she stepped into a position, as many women did, in the Second War of more power, more control, responsibility, and more importance. And uh, they both uh, they both pioneers. I, I must tip my hat to my mother, too, because when my father passed in 1966, uh, he said to her, I, I want you to run the show. And this is, of course, at a time when I don't even think women's lib was on the map. Uh, and she walked into the network and said, this is our show. I'm going to be the EP, the executive producer. They kind of laughed her off. They went, well, you know, that's very nice. We know you... You love your your husband and your family, but you're a widow and you're grieving. And you know, get over it, and we'll find something to run the show. And she said, "Over my blank body." And uh, and they gave her a, basically a three month contract to run the show. And <laughs> and I mentioned this in the book. It was a, a good ten fifteen years later, and the show was really really thrived. And she was in an elevator, and the same network executive who had put her on three month cycles walked in. And, and he was, you know, effusive about the success of the show. And there were many people in the elevator and all commending her. And she looked at him and said, does that mean I'm still on a three-month contract? <laughs> and which really speaks so much of my mother and father. But again, to your point, uh, no child could have not only better parents, but better teachers and role models in this industry. I, there's the greatest blessing for me at the show is the state uh, they, they were wonderful uh, showrunners. They were wonderful uh, dramatists. They understood radio, theater, and television. And they had keen eye for the most important thing, which is story. Without good story, people don't watch any soap operas. And if you go into rural U.S. or any little town U.S. and you talk to someone about Days of Our Lives, they will usually refer to it as, oh, I'm going to go home and watch my story. Oh, that's my story. And, you know, this has been the case for 40 years. And this, you know, there are nicknames now, oh, it's, it's dual or it's this or that. But it's all about story. And my mother and father had learned over many years, pioneering in theater, radio, and television, what made a good story and what didn't make a good story. My, my favorite story in the book about your folks uh, is uh, when your dad was at, with the Signal Corps and your dad was privy to a lot of information and coincidentally your mom was working on The Shadow and there was a storyline about a super bomb that could destroy a city and she was excitingly telling your dad about it and yeah. your dad had to go through extraordinary measures <laughs> to squelch that episode. I hadn't been born yet, of course. This is in 44, and the U.S. had been working on the atomic bomb at uh, Los Alamos. And he knew this being... Uh, Signal Corps was then what, what was basic, what is basically Army intelligence today, and officers were privy to the fact that this was... We had bomb, and we had it before the Russians or the Japanese did, or the Germans. <laughs> and this was not public knowledge, and here comes my mother, you know, just so wound up about this great story that people will gather around the radio and hear about the super bomb that will, you know, the, the, the shadow has to stop these horrible people from, 
from building. And my father went, um, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, why, why? Said, you know, it's a great idea. It'll get great ratings. And he said, here. And he, he called her uncle, who was a full colonel in the Air Force in, um, in Colorado Springs. And he said, I want you to, to tell the story to your Uncle Kirk. And she told the story to Kirk Bott, who was far more into the atomic bomb project going on and on here. And because you can read it, and he just said, Betty, um, as your uncle, I'm telling you, it's a bad idea. And as, as a colonel in the U.S. Air Force, I'm telling you, you will not air that on the radio. <laughs> and she said, okay, I guess I have to find a way of, of telling them it's a bad story instead of a great story. No, it, it, it is amazing. I, I've been racking my brain with everyone with the show just that uh, Days of Our Lives is truly, I hope it's not derogatory, that it's a mom-and-pop operation. We're thinking, how many other TV shows were family-run? And we're thinking Lucy and Desi, Ozzie and Harriet. And that's it. And that's really it. Yeah, and, and, and your parents. Homage where homages do. Bill Bell, William J. Bell, who uh, was a, the creator of Hero and Restless, even though that is owned by Sony, uh, saved Days of Our Lives. And I've quoted many, many times I've been quoted when the show is somewhat in peril in its second year and we had a writer who was kind of not making it work he came to my mother came to him and said bill would you write the show he was writing a show called another world then for Ern phillips who had created the show and yes he did come and he wrote days as a head writer and really really you know put the rocket fuel in the show and later created young and restless and bold and beautiful and now his son brad bell is writing bold and beautiful which is a, a consecutive Emmy Award-winning show in the last two years. So the Bell family, who are very close to my heart, are also, uh, that is a family-owned show, The Bold and the Beautiful, albeit a half an hour, but it is extremely powerful and popular out of this country as well as here. Ken, this is Ed. We've been talking about how Days of Our Lives is, is a family-run operation. Was there any pressure on you from your mom to take over the show, or did, or was that a decision you were able to make on your own? My mother was a, a brilliant, how do I say, Irish storyteller and a knower of reverse psychology. <laughs> so, she would always, it, yes, you? I am. <laughs> the last thing you want to do, kid, get into this business, because it's just, it's a lot of work, and it's going to eat you up, and look at the stress your father's been under, and I'm under. At that time, I graduated a degree, and in, in music composition was going into a teaching career at San Jose State University. She never, she never uh, forced me. She never you know, said, I really need you to do this or that. I was fortunate enough to start writing music for the show kind of uh, as a, a second, I wouldn't say hobby, but as a second source of income. Mm-hmm. And that got me more and more interested in the show in the early 80s. And then as my mother reached it 75 in 1985, I could tell that it was wearing on her and that I didn't like to hear executives, male executives, screaming at her, and my father would never have put up with it. In fact, he would have done very illegal things had he heard network executives and uh, corporate executives screaming at my mother and ended up behind bars. But she just said to me one night, we were driving home, I mentioned in the book from the 20th anniversary of the show, it was 1985, and she said, you know, what would you think of uh, moving up from being a composer or you know, a gopher and sitting around the studio getting his cups of coffee to getting involved producing and running the show. And, I, you know, I remember time kind of stopped, and I dropped her off at home, and 
went off into the night, as as, as Bob Seger would say, and, and the night moves. And, and I thought, well, you know, this door may not open again ever in my life. You know, why not? And the joke was I walked in the back door and said I was leaving. And uh, it stuck. You know, the greatest blessing of my life is having inherited this legacy that my father created my mother nurtured. But no, she was, as, you know, the old fable, the Brer Rabbit and, and the Fox and the Hound, uh, he says, Brer Rabbit says, please don't throw me in the briar patch or anything but that once they capture the rabbit. And of course, what they do is they throw him in the briar patch, which is his happiest place in the world. So <clears throat> my mother would say to me, you know, the last thing you want to do, you know, days of our lives is too much work. And uh, in the end, it uh, it turned out that it was very, very clever of her to do that because she knew when the time came, much as my father knew when he was passing, that just the time had come for her to take the show. You're listening to a conversation with Ken Corday, executive producer of Days of Our Lives, that originally aired in November 2010 on TV Confidential. Days of Our Lives marked its 55th anniversary on television earlier this week. We'll play some more from our conversation with Ken Corday at the end of our second hour. Be able to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll take a quick time out, then we will welcome back actor and comedian Tom Dreesen during hour number two of TV Confidential. Stay with us. If you haven't been listening to TV Confidential, this is who you're missing. Linda Day George. Diane Cannon. Donna Mills. Richard Benjamin. Michael Bell. Joan Van Ark. Thank you so much, Joan. I, I really appreciate this. I hope we'll have a chance to chat again. Well, I hope so, too, and let me tell you, bravo to you, kudos, for doing your homework. That's all I got to say. Thank you, hugs. That's TV Confidential, every week on this station and every day online at televisionconfidential.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Ronnie Deutsch Tax Program. On the line is Paul from California. Hi, Paul. What's your tax problem today? Hi, Ronnie. Love your show. Listen, I've got a big problem. You see, my paycheck was garnished last week, and I'm only getting half the normal amount. To make matters worse, the IRS froze my bank account. Listen, I'm embarrassed and scared. I need some help. Listen, Paul, you don't need to feel embarrassed. You just need some tax help. And the great news is the IRS has some unbelievable programs that can eliminate your tax debt so you don't have to worry about having your paycheck garnished or your bank levied. Doesn't that sound great? It sure does, Ronnie. Then do yourself a huge favor and get a free consultation right now and tell them the tax lady sent you. 855-717-6901 That's 855-717-6901 You can listen to this show all over again as a podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcast, and wherever podcasts are found. Best of all, it's free. To subscribe to the TV Confidential Podcast, go to the homepage at televisionconfidential.com and click subscribe now. Become a TV Confidential Confidant and receive unlimited access to the last five years of TV Confidential, plus other members-only content. To find out more, go to televisionconfidential.com and click Become a Confidant. Enter the coupon code CONFIDENTIAL when you sign up, and you'll receive $5 off your first month's membership. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com and click Become a Confidant. Alexa users, you can now listen to TV Confidential on your smart speaker by just saying, Alexa, play TV Confidential. Enabling our Alexa skill is easy. To find out how, go to televisionconfidential.com slash Alexa. 
be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.